Hello and welcome to the very first ever episode of the Trans Guild Promenade Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Davies, and today we're going to kick things off with our news segment. Today we're going to be talking about the release of Message 25 and the following controversy. So, Message 25 was released this Friday, the 16th of March. Master 25, for those who don't know, is a master set that is here to showcase the 25th anniversary of Magic and the history of the game up until this point. It has at least one card from every set across Magic's history. However, as it's being released, it's receiving a lot of criticism and disappointment from many fans. This is partially due to many of Wizards of the Coast's poor decisions about what to print to represent each set. The chief example of this right now is Tree of Redemption, which is a card of little value and little popularity that is rarely played. Um, Although it's interesting, it doesn't really represent Innistrad, which is one of the most beloved sets in the game's history. The tree could have been Liliana the Veil, Pass in Flames, or even Snapcaster Mage. This was true of a lot of the other rares and mythics in the set as well, and most of them aren't quite of a high enough value to make this set really successful and of good financial value. They did choose a lot of great cards like Jace, the Mind Sculptor, Snaring Bridge, and Imperial Recruiter, but most of them were at Mythic. There just weren't enough big hits at Rare. There were cards like Rishon Port and Azusa and the Filterlands, but just those weren't quite enough. There were also a lot of great things at Common and Uncommon, but due to the size of the print runs of this set, those cards are plummeting in price. Like, for example, Cultivate, which is a great commander staple which is it's great ramp, uh, which was about $1.50, but the new printing of it is about a quarter. This has happened to a lot of the rares as well. They're just plummeting in price compared to the originals, uh, which makes the value of the set quite deceiving. MTG Goldfish actually calculated the estimated value of the set on March 12th, which was about $215, which according to them was fine, but not spectacular. Not what we expected of the set that was supposed to represent the 25th anniversary of MTG. And this figure isn't even accurate anymore, as most of these prices have already declined a lot since then. So all this added up to create a set that repeats the flop that Iconic Masters had when it was originally released. Iconic Masters, however, has been slowly gaining in value to some extent, because players are beginning to pick it up again after avoiding it for so long. Uh, You see, now that the set has been out for a while, and the cards are starting to go back up a bit, a booster box of it is actually not a bad deal right now, especially due to the low prices because of its reputation. I think at one point you could find them online for about 110 or so dollars, and there's a lot of good stuff in there, like the Praetors, and... I think the same is true for Masters 25, and this could happen also with this new set as well, fairly easily. However, this might not be the case. A week or so before release, Rudy from Alpha Investments, who is a big part of the MTG Finance community, recorded a box opening in which he opened two boxes of Masters 25. I believe he was one of the first people to do this on YouTube, and he ended up pulling the exact same cards in the rare slots of each booster box, except for one card, in which one box he pulled a Jace the Mind Sculptor, and in the other, a Makokoro Center of the Sea. Now, if this is something that's happened with a lot of boxes, this could cause some big problems, specifically in terms of box mapping. For those who don't know what box mapping is, box mapping is where someone opens up a booster box, lays out the packs, cracks one open, and records its contents. They then use what is in that pack to determine what rares and mythics are in each other pack in the box. 
This is possible because booster boxes aren't perfectly random. Wizards of the Coast uses an algorithm to make it seem like the packs are completely random while still getting a similar number of each card at each rarity into circulation. Box mappers will figure out this formula and use it to figure out which packs have cards with more value than the pack itself and which packs have bulk rares. They then open the packs with the more expensive cards, sell those cards, and then sell the packs with low-value cards out for profit. It's a very illegitimate practice. And apparently this happened most during Return to Ravnica Standard, because the set Return to Ravnica was super mappable. And ever since then, Wizards of the Coast has been trying very hard to make sure that their products can never be that easily mapped. However, if this set's algorithm is this repetitive, then it might end up becoming so mappable that it could be possible um, to map cases, which are essentially boxes of booster boxes. This is unlikely, but it's yet to be seen if this is the case. Um, if this were the case, then you would not be safe buying entire sealed boxes, which you know are usually safe due to the fact that it's difficult to reseal them without any sort of detection. Um, and this really caused a big stir when this video came out because it was one of the first openings of M25 on YouTube and it made people kind of freak out. People were wondering, well, is this real? Was it just some random fluke? Um, thankfully, as Rudy and others began to open more boxes, it was revealed this is not happening all the time. Rudy released a second video titled, The Masters 25 Box Opening Equals Yay, Most Boxes Appear to Be Normal. But then, Rudy eventually posted a third video where he opened a box where 72% of the foils between two boxes were duplicates, and 55% of the rares were as well. This is very strange, and we don't really know what to make of it as of this point. Um, these could all just be flukes, some kind of deception, who knows. Um, as more are opened, we'll see if this is a problem or just some strange, inexplicable happening. Next up, we have our brief MTG Finance segment with a quick check-in on card prices. So, we've seen a few price changes and small spikes this week, mostly due to the Dominaria leak and the unbanning of Jace and Bloodbraid Elf. Um, so a lot of cards for Dominaria, the upcoming standard set, uh, were leaked early. So we know what is coming, and the market has sort of reacted to that. Uh, one of the biggest things has been Leyline of Singularity. So Leyline of Singularity is an enchantment for 2 and 2 blue uh, for a CMC of 4, which reads, If Leyline of Singularity is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it in play. All non-land permanents are legendary. So since Legendary Tribal is kind of the main theme of Dominaria, it might synergize really well with the set. Um, so someone somewhere leapt on this and bought it out. The price, uh, all the way up to almost $20 it spiked um, between March 10th and 11th. And the buyout succeeded in driving up to that point, but it's not really holding it there, and it's quickly falling back down. It's currently about 7 or $8. Another card affected in a similar sense is Isamaru, Hound of Konda, from Kamigawa. Isamaru is a legendary 2-2 for 1 white, uh, and it synergizes quite well with the recently leaked Mox Amber. Mox Amber is a 0-mana artifact with tap at 1-mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. So the Hound is a great enabler for this, allowing you to use it in turn 1. Uh, the price of this card has basically doubled from 4 to $8 quite recently.
So uh, the other big spikes are mostly due to the unbanning of Bloodbraid, Elf, and Modern. Bloodbraid, Elf uh, used to be in the classic Jun builds before it was banned. Uh, and since it's been unbanned, many pieces from that deck uh, have been spiking by 10 to $15, including Liliana the Veil and Dark Confidant. Trinispear also had a nice bump since it's quite good against Bloodbraid Elf. Uh, the final update here really is that Ulamog has had a nice jump of about $7 thanks to Tron and possibly because of a few decks uh, designed recently by MTG Goldfish that spoiled this card as well. Um, that's about it for this week as there wasn't a whole lot of market movement outside of Modern. Next up, we have our weekly lore lesson. The topic for this week will be the current state of Dominaria, which will be important to know for the upcoming standard set, Dominaria. Many who haven't been following the lore for a long time have a big question about the lore going into Dominaria. What state is the plane currently in? What's happened most recently there? What many people do know is that there's been many apocalyptic events on Dominaria, and so, because of that, they're not really sure whether to expect a story that is about a plane that is a wasteland, or a story about somewhere bright and full of life and energy and nostalgia. So first of all, yes, there's been a lot of apocalyptic events on Dominaria. The Silex Blast, the Phyrexian Invasion, the Ice Age, and those are just to name a few. However, to learn the state of Dominaria that it's currently in, uh, and why, we have to go all the way back to the time of Urza. Alright, now I'm going to have to start jumping around here a little bit, and I'm not going to really be able to fully explain a lot of these characters and events, because in doing so, I would kind of have to trace back through and explain the entire history of Dominaria, which we don't really have time for in one episode. However, if you would like a brief summary of Dominary's past, then I would rec highly recommend watching Saiban's series about the topic on the Aether Hub, which I'll link in the description. And now, let's begin. Long ago, there were two brothers named Mishra and Urza that discovered two powerful artifacts known as the Weak Stone and the Might Stone. Originally, they squabbled over them, but as they grew up, their petty squabbles turned violent and eventually evolved into a war. This war came to a head many, many years later when Urza dis attempted to destroy Mishra's army with a powerful artifact known as the Golgothian Silax. However, the blast created by the artifact also destroyed a large portion of Dominary's landscape and initiated an ice age that lasted thousands of years. It also tore open a time rift in the very fabric of the plane. This time rift was a dangerous phenomenon that essentially opened a portal that connected Dominaria to other realities, as well as simultaneously draining mana from the plane. Throughout the rest of the history of Dominaria, many more of these rifts have been opened up by various cataclysmic events. One such rift involved Teferi himself, a planeswalker that will be in the upcoming set as a blue-white planeswalker card. Back when Teferi was a child, he was something of a trickster, a prankster if you will. When Urza came across him and saw past this, he discovered that the youth had extraordinary magical potential, so he took him in under his wing as a student at his academy. But this happened during the Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria, and even the Tolarian Academy wasn't safe. It was eventually attacked by the Phyrexians, and Teferi and his friend Joira were killed. Now Urza was upset by this, so he ordered Karn to go back in time and save them. 
Karn was successful, but the time machine did malfunction, creating a time bubble that Teferi became trapped in for a long time. Even worse, Teferi had been set aflame before he entered the time bubble, so he was trapped, burning alive, for what felt like an eternity for him. Joyra eventually did save Teferi, who left the time bubble with a newfound mastery over time magic. He would eventually become a planeswalker, further strengthening these abilities. Later on during the Phyrexian invasion, Teferi and Joyra's homelands, Jamura and Shiv, were attacked by the Phyrexians. Before the Phyrexians could reach them, however, Teferi used his temporal ability to phase them out of the time stream and into their own separate bubbles of time. This created two more rifts on Dominaria. Teferi would then go on to leave Dominaria for many years. When he eventually returned, he found the plane in a state of ruin, being pulled apart by many different time rifts. The plane's mana was being drained away by them, and creatures from across time and space were popping up out of nowhere. Teferi decided it was time to phase Shiv back into existence to close at least one of the three time rifts he'd created throughout his lifetime. However, this turned out to be no easy feat, and in the process, Teferi lost his Planeswalker spark. Many other Planeswalkers also sacrificed a lot to close additional rifts. Karn sacrifices Spark, just like Teferi, and Freilis, Lord Wingrace, and Jeska all sacrifice their very lives in order to close various rifts throughout the plane. And now, thanks to their efforts, Dominaria is in a state of renewal, with its mana restored once more. New Benalia and Teleria West are now the two main hubs of civilization, and more cities will most likely spread out from them. Keep in mind, though, that the last rift was only closed about 60 or so years ago, so a lot of wasteland will still be left behind from the time of the rifts. In addition, the effect of the time rifts are not completely gone, as entities from different times and dimensions tend to surface out of nowhere on occasion. Also, in the new set Dominaria, Teferi has regained his Planeswalker spark. How he's done this is a mystery, one that will hopefully be uncovered in the upcoming chapters of the lore. So that's about all we've got for our lore segment for the day. Next, we'll move on to a Marin of Clan Neltoth Commander deck tech. Hello and welcome to our Marin of Clan Neltoth deck tech for today. Uh, today, joining me is Alvin. Sup? And we're going to be doing Marin of Clan Neltoth. Would you read that out for us, Alvin? Sure. Marin of Clan Neltoth. Two generic, one black, one green. The ultimate of Golgari. Legendary creature, human shaman. Whenever a creature you control dies, get an experience counter. Game of your end step. Choose a target creature card from your graveyard. If that card's can CMC is less than or equal to the number of teams counters you have. Otherwise, return it to the battlefield. Otherwise, I'm sorry, return it to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it into your hand. Too long, didn't read. If a thing you control dies, cool. Experience. Permanent experience. And yeah. end step. Hey, hey, you, hey, creature card, come back to the battlefield or into my hand. Yeah, and it's really nice because this experience will stick around if Marin dies and is put into the command zone, so you won't have to reset up all your experience counters. And Marin's just a really great value engine to reuse creatures from Un the graveyard until someone kills you. Yeah, that's kind of the problem. You're going to need it's a little. Or Solemnity turn two. <laughs> yeah, Solemnity turn two will kind of shut you down. And then shrouds it. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, that's where we're at with Marin. And the reason we chose to do this as our first ever deck tech on this podcast is just the sheer popularity of this commander. Uh, before Atraxa, it was the most built commander deck of all time on EDHREC.com. Uh, currently, it's in second place to Atraxa. Not sponsored. 
no, sadly, no. Um, and Marin, we've got 3,056 decks already on EDH rack. All right, so next, let's move into the deck deck. So one of the most important things that you need for a Marin of Clan Eltoth deck is Sacrifice Outlets. Um, AKA stab your creature in the throat and watch it die, rinse and repeat. Yeah, for value, because that's what uh, we Magic players love, value. So uh, first off, we have two altars. An Ashna's altar and the altar of dementia. So altar of dementia drops for two and has sacrifice a creature. Target player puts the top or top X cards into um, of their library into their graveyard, where X is the power of the sacrifice creature. Um, this works in two ways: mill yourself, mill your opponent. Works yeah, beneficial no matter what you do. Usually, you want to mill with Marin. You want to mill yourself so you can put more things into your graveyard to reanimate later. Later on, um, but in some cases, if your opponent is like playing a Locust God deck or something and drawing a bajillion cards, you could finish them off with it. Uh, our second altar, Ashna's altar, zero sacrifice a creature, add two colors to your mana pool, play his ability as interrupt, erratic to instant. Don't worry, there's an old one. Basically, yeah, this is an old copy. Basically, um. This is works for both the altars. They're instant speed. So you can do the in response appeal, killing your stuff. You can gain value. It's pretty nice. Ashnod's altar gets you a ton of mana, and it's really helpful. Example of useful moments. Someone plays mostly eviction naming creatures. You respond by almost like everything to Ashnod's altar and float a million of colors mana. Since mana burn does not exist, you don't kill yourself via doing it. Exactly. Mana burn. Oh boy. That brings some people back, I'm sure. And then you play Living Dead or Living Death. Right? Yeah, well, we'll get to that one later. That's a pretty fun yeah. card for this deck. So another good, some other good sack outlets uh, in this deck come on creatures. Uh, one of the best ones, Viscera Seer. Sack creature, scry one. Yeah, and it's on a body that's a 1-1 one, one for one black. So you can drop it, turn one, and you can sacrifice things quickly for just a little bit of value. But the main thing is not what you're getting out of the sack outlet, but just that you're sacrificing the creature. Um, also... It can also sacrifice itself if you're exactly. that desperate. Uh, well, one thing, you know, you can, once you drop Marin, you can sacrifice it, get one experience counter, and then reanimate that turn. Just a free experience counter. You know, no and a scry. Rinse and repeat. Exactly. And get, and then there you go. That's how you get to your all your experience counters. And next up, we have an interesting enchantment. Mind Slash. One generic, double black. Sacrifice one black, sacrifice a creature. Look at target player's hand and choose a card from it. Target player discards that card. Plays ability only you can play as a sorcery. It's slow, but free information is free information. Don't complain. Yeah, it's great value. Uh, this is actually, I think, a really underrated card. It is not the best in that you do have to pay mana for it, and it is only sorcery speed. But, I mean, come on. Repeatedly dressing people is really nice um next we have phyrexian plague lord for three black black it's a creature carrier just notice that now that's an interesting creature type have we yeah. seen that no we have not i, mean, I have not seen it i think i've that's... seen like one that's called a carrion but not so as a carrier type yeah that's really interesting but anyways sacrifice uh Sacrifice uh phyrexian plague lord target creature gets four minus one minus one until the turn sacrifice a creature Target creature gets minus one minus one time turn. Easily gets around any Eldrazi giant person. Yeah, it gets by indestructible. Unless infinite gyre, then you just kind of screw yourself over. 
Right, because it gets it or it shuffles it back into the deck, I believe. Yes, when it hits the, the entire graveyard. graveyard. Yeah, which that's why we're not running that Ulamog in this deck. So we want to keep our graveyard. Jesus Hunger is a more good choice. Yeah, it's decent in this deck, although only about as decent as it is in any other deck. Next up, we have one of the most powerful sack outlets in the deck, Razaketh the Foul-Blooded. Razzle-Frazzle. Yes, as we like to call him. So he is extremely expensive at 5, black, 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 but he will single-handedly win you the game while being a sack outlet. He's a two-darn stick. Don't you yep. dare underestimate him. He's an 8-8 Flying Trample. Pay two life, Cypress and their creatures. So you'll have for a card, put it to your hand, and shuffle your library afterwards. Instant speed. No mana required. It's great. Yep. Demonic two-darn stick, but a little better. When I drop this... Arguably. ...in my Marin deck, the game, it just... It's over by, like, the next turn. It's excellent. Yep. Another uh, black sack outlet is a sadistic hypnotist sadistic hypnotist is also great um it's similar to mine slash probably better in a lot of cases it's got sacrifice a creature uh target player or opponent i believe discards two cards i believe at sorcery speed it is is at sorcery speed um and it is five black black for a two two uh legendary or not legendary sorry Creature, human minion, another interesting creature type. Just run across all those today. Um, yeah, works in a lot of any deck really that summons a lot of creatures in one turn. Yeah, any deck with lots of tokens or that like sacrificing things. I mean, your your opponents just won't have hands anymore. And you can pseudo mill them on their almost. Well, milling mm-hmm. in a sense that they draw their card, they pass turn. Oh, you're discarding that card. Yeah, already. Or, well, it's a sorcery, which is does limit it, but, I mean, that I mean, effect's just powerful enough. Sacking, making him sack two cards are on its own powerful attack. Oh, yeah. Um, so, next we have a few sacrifice outlet, outlets that are really good in that not only do they sacrifice your existing creatures, but they get you more creatures to sacrifice. All of you mod pa- players, you're going to groan about this. Birthing pod. Three, one, mm-hmm. one green phyrexian mana. Can you pay for two life if you only have three mana? Uh, one for and one for X and green. Tap it. Sacrifice a creature. Choose your library for a creature with CMC plus one of that creature's CMC, and then put that onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. But only be done as a sorcery. Right. So you can once it's you have to tap to do it, and it's a sorcery. But it's super powerful. You can sacrifice a one drop, go fetch up a two drop, put it on the battlefield, no cost, and you can keep doing that all the way across the curve. And this deck has a very varied curve. Um, a slightly less powerful card that is still nice, especially more budget as Birthing Pod is what about eight ish dollars right eight now. Eight to eleven dollars. Yeah, it's, who you're buying from. It's not cheap. Um, Evolutionary Leap is just a nice way to get more creatures into your hand. Uh, it's one in a green with green sacrifice creature. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put the card into your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. That's some creepy artwork. Not gonna lie. Yeah, they both actually have. Fairly creepy artwork, although, yeah. Um, so that's let's see here. Mostly it for sack outlets. Um, let's take a look here. Um, yeah, there's a few uh, other one-time sack outlets we'll get into in the future, and cards that sacrifice themselves. But for now, these are our sack outlets we're going to be running. Oh, also. Uh, one more thing to note: If you have the money, 
Phyrexian Altar is quite nice. It's the same as uh, Astronaut's Altar, but instead of adding two colorless, it adds one man of any color, which can be really helpful in many situations. And used for anything. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have something every deck needs, and that is ramp. However, Marin goes about ramp in a little bit of a different way. Here's some more regular ramp to start. All right, first up, our green enchantment, the Awakening Zone, two, two generic and a green. Beginning with upkeep, you may put a 0-1 Eldrazi spawn on creature token onto the battlefield. It has sacrificed this creature, add one to your mana pool, one generic. Yep, so it doesn't get you um, colored mana, but that's usually fine. And it, you know, ramps you kind of by one each turn, but not really. But the main draw of this is it just gets you more experience counters just through ramping, essentially. Yeah. Um, next up is kind of, this is how Marin prefers to ramp, and that's playing out small creatures that ramp you, then sacrificing them, and then playing them again from the graveyard. Our first up is the Sakura Tribe Elder, our favorite classic. Oh yeah, and this classic goes, just gets supercharged in Marin. It's insane. One in the green, Creature Snake Shaman. I feel bad for Shaman already. Sacrifice <laughs> Sakura Tribe Elder. Search your library for a basic land card and put that card into the battlefield tap. Shuffle your library afterwards. And it's a 1-1. One, one. So it's great because it sacrifices itself. You don't need another sack outlet to rely on. Or block and sack. Yeah, or block, then sacrifice. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get you with the Seldrazi. And you're like, nope. And you can just prevent a lot of damage right there while just doing what you want to do anyways. And a lot of the times during the early game, it's just... One experience counter every turn, and one additional mana every single turn. Um, next, we have... Next up is Farhaven Elf. Uh, two and, an, and a green. And there's a battlefield, so for, for a basic land, and opponent to battlefield top, shall uh, be library afterwards. You're going to have to kill this off somehow, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, it doesn't sacrifice itself like Secure Tribe, but it is rampant growth on a stick, and it can be, you know, you're going to need more than just Secure Tribe Elder. So it's pretty decent. And next we have Eyeless Watcher. An Aldrazi Drone, three and a green. Devoid, so as colorless. Commander rules, you confuse me still. Whenever Eyeless uh, mm. Watcher enters the battlefield, put two 1-1 one, one Eldrazi Sign Creatures tokens onto the battlefield, and they have Sacrifice It, add one generic to your mana pool. Yeah, so this gets you just a lot of experience counters while you're ramping. Um, this is not as necessary as the other ones, but because it is a four drop, but it, it does do a decent drop of ramping. Um, yeah. Great examples for it to be good. We paralyze or any token doubling enchantment. Exactly. That'll get you a lot of mana and will just get you yeah. all the experience counters you need just Poten right away. Potentially around, I want to say, 32. If you have all <laughs> four, it doubles out. Then you go 32, 1-1 one, one Scions and give them haste. So you kind of kill somebody. Right, except for, wait, are you calculating Anointed Procession? I'm calculating all four of them. Okay, well, Anointed, anointed Procession. Primal Vigor, Paralyze, and uh, there, was a, there was a fourth. Doubling Season. Yeah, Doubling Season, yeah. Um, yeah, sadly, you can only run three of the four. Three of the four. But, but yeah, hey. it's still fairly good if you're going to token strat with Marin. Oh, yeah. Um, so next, we have, we do need to mention this, yeah. Staple. Our, uh, our favorite depressed golem, Solemn Simulacrum. For a generic straight. Enters the battlefield trigger, search for a basic land, it's a field library. On death, you draw a card. Yep. Rampant card draw. And it's a 2 2 drop. Indeed. Um, and it's great in any deck, right? But in this deck, you get those both those triggers over and over and over again. 
Um, and that makes this particularly of note in this deck. Marin takes a lot of things that are normally good and makes them better. He likes to insult a golem to suicide. Yeah, that's about uh, what st Statistic Hypnotist will be doing with this card. Um, next up, we have some ramp that will just naturally occur as you're sacrificing a lot of creatures. All right, uh, first up, the Pawn of Ulamog. One and double black. Creature vampire, a creature that's a vampire shaman. Didn't think they know how to heal people because they just like all their blood. Whenever a Pawn of Ulamog or a non-token control dies, you may create an O1 Cartel Jotty spawn. That has the usual sacrifice it at mm -hmm. Karsty Mana Pool. Yep. And that's really nice. You'll get uh basically a double sacrifice outlet trigger on all your things while you're ramping. Um you also have Pitiless Plunderer, which is essentially the same thing, but it's a four drop. One four, instead of doing a scion, makes a treasured uh token. If you have any token doubly enchantment, you kind of break the card itself. Yeah, because, you know, colorless mana is one thing, but this is colored mana here. It's not on a creature. They can use at any point in time. It doesn't float. It just stays there with you until you sack it or someone destroys it. And in most yep. cases, you're going to be sacking that thing or going tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and next we have a card that can get out of hand as it more compounds uh, Black Market. Our favorite meme, the black market. Three Indeed. and double black. Enchantment. Whenever a creature dies, put a charge counter on black market. Gain your pre-combat main phase. Add black based on how many charge counters you have on a black market. So yeah, uh, kill a creature, sells kidney to the black market. You have more black mana on your next pre-combat main phase. Yep, and this just keeps getting bit, you know, more and more mana. And eventually you'll just be able to cast everything you need to uh, pretty quickly. Now, our final bit of ramp is not a necessary piece of ramp, and it's kind of, it's a really interesting uh, way of ramp, um, which is World Shaper. A world Shaper, three and a green, a creature, Merfolk Shaman. Whenever World Shaper attacks, you may put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. When she dies, put all land cards from your graveyard into battlefield tapped. I mean, if you're playing Giddy Rog, Oh, this would rock. be really good because you'd be dredging everything into your graveyard and chucking lands in the graveyard as well because of Get Rod's uh, upkeep trigger. Yeah, Get Rod. But I guess monster. it's good in Marin because you are killing your own creatures very frequently, mm -hmm. and you're just reanimating repeatedly, getting all your lands back in the process is still a pretty good deal out of it. Yeah, Get Rod Monster does want this more, but this deck it works fairly well. Um, honestly, in this deck though, it would be probably even better if it was on a enter the battlefield trigger instead of attack, which does sort of delay this. So, I don't know. We'll see. As more people are testing out this card, this is a fairly new card. Um, and that's about it for ramp. Just look for anything that has, when it enters the battlefield, search for a land, put on the battlefield tap, that kind of thing. Um, those are all great for ramp in Marin Clan Altoth. Next up, we have the second thing that every commander deck needs, and that is card draw. Especially if you're outside of blue. Our first mm -hmm. card is my favorite, Bakunity. Two and a green enchantment. Whenever a creature dies, that creature's control may draw a card. Bear, bear in mind, it goes for everybody on the table. But this will mostly right. benefit you because you're stacking your things repeatedly and then recurring back onto the battlefield for more value and more card draw. Yep, and it's great with tokens because it many of these effects don't count tokens when they die, but this one does, and that's going to get you a lot of card draw. Our second card is a 6-drop, 4 and double black, Harvester of Souls, Creature, Demon, Death Touch. Whenever a non-token end dies, you may draw a card. 
this counts for yours and everyone else's creatures, but you you yourself will get the card draw. Yeah. And it's a 5-5, five, five, so be careful. He will die on the spot if you let him there too long. Because removal and people don't like having you having card draw. Yep. And uh, Especially if you're a blue player. <laughs> indeed. Uh, so next we have a card that you're going to be recurring, a creature you're going to be recurring instead of recurring other creatures to get the value off this one. Corpse Augur. Uh, three and a black. Whenever, uh, sorry, creature zombie wizard. Whenever Corpse Augur dies, you draw X cards and you lose X life. Or X is the number of creature cards in the target player's graveyard. Be yours, your friends, your mothers, your brothers, anyone's. <laughs> yeah. Graveyard. So usually you'll probably have the most. But hey, if there's a mill deck at the table that wants to mill themselves exclusively or other people, who knows? Um, so that one's pretty good, and you can repeatedly reanimate that one. Like, you're going to be doing with a lot of cards anyways. All right, so next up, we have some cards to accelerate your experience counters on Marin of Clan Neltoth. So Marin gets a lot of experience counters pretty fast, fairly naturally. Um, so we don't really need many of these, so we just have a couple here. Uh, uh, see, our first up is Malthus Revolutionary. One and double green. Creature, human warrior. Trample when a uh, revolutionary attacks the enters the battlefield sorry or dies each for each kind of, of counter on target permanent or player give that permanent or player another counter of that kind yeah say that three times fast um no <laughs> yeah so this one's really nice because you can again do that kind of loop that you do with marin of sacrifices something reanimates it and that'll quickly get you your counters but keep in mind this also works with plus one plus one counters and with infect counters which will you know maybe come into play with one particular card up next soon Skittles. enough. Actually, but, that wasn't what I was thinking, but you know, something more of a something more triumphant. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, puns, pun, bad puns for bad. Don't do them, kids. With like drugs, <laughs> just worse. Uh, worse? Oh boy, you gotta get your priorities straight. Anyway, right, another card that is also accelerant is Winding Constrictor. One black, one green. Creature Snake. If okay, so. A lot of text For there. all of you riddle people, you're going to have a kick out of this one. If one or more <laughs> counters would be placed on an artifact or creature you control, that many of those counters plus one are placed on that permanent instead. If you get one or more counters, you get that many of those plus one instead. Too long didn't read. Hey, put an extra one of that counter onto that effect as well. Basically, for your stuff. So you're, it'll happen for your plus one plus one counters if something like, you know, gets two plus one plus one counters. It'll get three instead. Whenever you get an experience counter, you get two instead of one. It's pretty nice. Oh, God. When I was first released, I'm actually saying, riddle me this. And, you just, and it just says this entire text. And you just kind of <laughs> sit there trying to think about how the heck does that work. Yep. Uh, nice thing also that really made this a big deal in standard, it's a 2-3 body for two. Just thought I'd mention that. Value right there. And it's Value. a snake. It's a cute little snake with blue eyes. Ooh. Yeah, no, that art's quite good. Alrighty. Next up, we have removal and sacrifice and all the kind of things that we're going to do to stop our opponents from winning before we do, as this deck is kind of slower, grindier. Um, the first thing that we like to do to with Marin to stop our opponents in their tracks are the combo of Fleshbag Marauder and Merciless Executioner. These two are both effectively the same, the same card, but of different names, you can run basically two copies. Uh, it's three mana for a three-one. When they enter, when either of them enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature. What you do, you play one, sacrifice it, goes to the graveyard. Then you can continually reanimate it and keep making your opponent sacrifice. Now, if you want even more sacrifice, Alvin's got a few enchantments here. 
well, two enchantments and a creature and two oh, different yes, languages. Indeed. But uh, they're all mechanically the exact same thing. First up is Grave Pact, second is Dictator of Erebos, and third is Butcher Malakir. All of them say the exact same thing. Whenever creature you control dies, everyone else sacrifices the creature. Yep. All of them vary in price in CMC, but the cheapest one is Butcher. He's yeah. the poor man's option. Dictate is the middle class option, and Grave Pact, if you're feeling that little pimp option. Indeed. So, uh, Butcher, again, yeah, it's really cheap. Uh, what is Dictator of Erebos about five, and how much is about Grave Pact? How 11, much you pay for this? 11 15. Okay. Yeah, so um, CMC wise, uh, Butcher is the most different. expensive, Grave Packs four, and we have Dictator of Erebos at five. And Dictator of Erebos is interesting. It has Flash, and Butcher, of course, is a five four flying creature. And that's about it for making other people sacrifice. Um, although many people tend to see Marin as a sacrifice deck due to the fact that that's you know where it most bugs other people is just that constant make people sack. Next, we have Gee, targeted removal. With your, gee, with your card drawing going on, you think you wouldn't be said the so-called sacrifice oppression over here. So. Yeah, well, yeah, you do tend to draw those cards. Anyway. Anyways, our next uh, options of being a little douchebaggery nonsense is spot removal. Our favorite two are Noxious Gearhulk and Shriek Maw. Both of them do exactly what you think it does, but with Noxious Gearhulk, it has a little extra. You gain life equal to that creature's toughness. Example being... Hey, Noxious Gearhulk, I destroy your, say, 5-5 five, five demon. You gain 5 life. Yep, and or, yeah, you gain 5 life, not the opponent with the demon. Very nice. Uh, Shriek Maw targets non-artifact, non-black creatures. Low bit narrowing, but still pretty good for his evoke cost and fear if you keep it as a creature. Right, yeah, so evoke is nice because if you don't have a sack out, it's going to just 2 mana, get the removal off it, put it straight in the graveyard. Otherwise, just pay the 5 for it. Um, this and our favorite token hater. Oh yeah. Well, hold on. Before we move on to token hate, though, we got one more card. We got Ravenous Chubacabra. We also forgot about this one. It's a new card, uh, recently printed twice already. That should show you how good it is. Right in Rivals of Ixalan at M25. It's a four drop two two that just hits the battlefield, destroys a creature. Come on, so good if I say a little, uh, story here for our audience here. All sure. Right, uh, Go this ahead. Uh, little thing I did in a draft that <gasps> we were in. He, uh, our, uh, our host here, Jack, was hosting a little draft of Ricks. Rob Ixalan, for all of you mm-hmm. who are not so sad with the sets. And, you know, just a casual phone of friends. And Indeed. so and so I opened, my first pack I opened is a Ramus Chupacabra. I read the ability, I was like, oh, hey, sure. Then next pack, definitely not Chupacabra. Next pack, <laughs> oh, a bounce spell. Next pack, okay. Demir Flat, so, so I'm going to play uh, Bouncing Chupacabra Madness. Yeah. And that won me two of the th- of the four games, four or three games. Yeah, I, I don't did. remember what it was, three or four. Um, yeah, it won me a, quite a few games than I originally thought it would, to be honest. Yeah. So and you, I still didn't fight against a dinosaur deck, which would have been perfect to be a little douchebag in because of their ramp and make him waste all that mana for right. four mana. Hit their biggest creatures. Uh, Ravenous Chupacabra, good fun, especially with Flicker. We're doing something kind of like Flickering, really, here. Um, Except you're cutting his throat and sewing it back up repeatedly. Essentially. So next, uh, we will move on to the aforementioned token hate <sighs> token hater i love you so much demon of the dark okay so demon of dark schemes it's a three for a triple black a little hard to cast but hear yeah, me out a uh, creature demon of the mythic variety flying when the demon of dark schemes enters the battlefield all other creatures get minus two missiles to end of turn whenever an creature dies you get a energy counter and here's where that actually goes to good use two and a black pay four energy protect each card from your graveyard under the battlefield under your control tapped yeah. Oh, I'm so, sorry. From a graveyard. Oh. So you can steal an Ulamov from somebody. 
Exactly. That's pretty impressive. So it's great in that it kills all tots of tokens and other small drops. And you steal Ur-Dragon if you want to from all the Scion players being a little savvy with their giant 10-10s. Ten exactly. Uh, you can use it against your opponents. You can also, if you need to, reanimate multiple of your cards per turn. That's one of the downfalls of Marin. You're reanimating usually a card a turn. This can help you with that. So this also speed reanimation. Exactly. Instant speed reanimation, although you're not going to use that to instant speed block because it's uh, tapped, but that's usually fine. Um, now, if you have a little bit more cash, there's a $12 alternative that will, although doesn't give you that helpful reanimation tech, probably will end the game a little bit faster. It's Massacre Worm for this exact same cost. It's a 6-5 with the exact same ETB effect, except, oh, one thing, it only hits creatures your opponents control. And whenever a creature in opponent control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, that player loses two life. Quite helpful, especially when you're making them sack of stuff and when it hits the battlefield. So if you want to kill off uh, a Reese or a Rith player deck, exactly. him, our host. Yep, I play Rith. It will instantaneously kill them if you let them populate. Basically. Basically. Uh, and that makes it especially powerful. So next, we move on to the more green side of things with the non-creature removal we've dealt a lot of stuff with creatures but what do we do when they're not playing a deck based around creatures first of all we got the classics reclamation sage two and a green elf shaman when there's a battlefield destroy target artifact or enchantment so he's gonna smash your iphone when there's the battlefield so be careful yeah <laughs> indeed and then you can sack him and reanimate him over and over like everything else um another alternative is a there's a couple uh Viridian Zealot and Caustic Caterpillar are all small drops that do the same thing, except for um, instead of entering the battlefield and destroying something, they have two mana, sacrifice them, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment. And this is nice in case you don't have other sack outlets. However, having to play the, pay the mana every time is kind of annoying, so those are just some other options. Another um, one is my my favorite, Terastodon. Uh, eight drop, six, two green for an elephant. But get this. And there's a battlefield destroy three non-creature permanents. Up to three. Yep. And their controller gets a three three elephant. So sure it darts the creatures, but you can be really, really rude and uh target their key lands. Yes. Or it is possible if you're me, this is another fun start to shout out for this card. Sure. Uh, I was playing my friend's Animar deck one night, and I had a Kiki Jiki in the mirror breaker and thrust on the field. Oh, okay, so I thought to myself, hmm, let's play Kiki Jiki and copy Terracidon. <laughs> I just, so, and my friend uh, Cody, who was sitting next to me at the time, had only uh, four lands and always one land away from activating his temple with the false god. So, what I did was with the extra Terracidon is I destroyed the three lands, but temple with the false god. Oh, no mana left. And I just, just hated him the entirety of the game. I'm not clear what the reason being, but. Yeah, he he ticked me off at one point in the game or last game, and I just kind of won my little revenge before I died. Right. Well, Got, that's commanded yeah. for you. I was going to die at one point in the match anyways. Uh, another thing to mention about this card is this is a 9-9. That's a body you shouldn't forget about. Um, and, yeah, quite effective. And careful, though, with going too crazy with land destruction. You might want to stick to the enchantments and artifacts there, as uh, your playgroup, as we've seen, may hate you. Uh, indeed. I'm a, I'm a prime example of that with my friend Michael years back anyways our last one is acidic slime uh three for double green uh, three and double green for sorry. five cmc uh death touch excellent blocker already when it's mm -hmm. the battlefield or target 
Artifact, Enchantment, or Land. Trastodon, slightly worse, but also slightly better in the regard that he doesn't get a body. Yeah. And it's a 2-2. Two -two. Small, but has Death Touch. Yeah, it holds down the board, it removes something. It's quite nice. Um, then you give it flying, so you can block that uh, pesky Scion player. Yeah, exactly. So that's about it for Artifact and Enchantment Removal. And Creature Removal. Here. And Creature. Oh boy, we got had a lot of that. Um, and I think we will move on to some of our more late game options. So that brings us to win cons. Uh, this deck usually wins kind of like a token deck. It just sets it up more differently. Uh, so one of the best things we can do to make tokens is Michaeloth. Michaeloth, three and double green, a giant fungus. Indeed. That is very creepy. Uh, Devour two. Uh, Devour is, uh, when it's the battlefield, sacrifice a number of creatures you want to, and gets that many counters. But since Devour 2, you times up that many counters by 2. So, basically, sacrifice any number of creatures, you get 2 counters on this for each. 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters for each creature. And, and at your upkeep, it create one, one create a 1-1 one, one green sap creature token for each counter on Michaeloth. Which is a lot, uh, most likely. So and... you have 20 creatures on the board. Second one on Michaeloth. He is a 44-44. That's, yeah, so you, it's pretty easy to set that up pretty nicely, um, and you can, you know, if they kill it, which happens, I see this draw a lot of hate, bring it right back. Another thing we're going to be killing and bringing right back, the very Avenger of Zendikar. Uh, five and double green and elemental. Whenever it enters the battlefield, put an o, o, o 01 plant token creature onto the battlefield for each land you control. But, and landfall. When yeah. you play a land, play a plus one plus one counter on each of those said plants. And this goes off of that uh, that Merfolk from earlier. Exactly. You could get a huge number of counters uh, with the World Shaper, which can bring back, back excuse me, a lot of lands at once. Yeah, you can, in response, kill the Merfolk first. And yeah, just do things with it. And uh, our next up is the one that I really hate. And my favorite. Hornet Queen, four and triple green. Insect, flying, death touch. When she has the battlefield, put four insects, tokens that have death touch and flying as well. And she has a two, two. But having like a round five power on the board, all having death touch and flying is the ultimate wall of screw you. You're not touching me. Yep, this, they're great blockers. And then you can buff them to swing for the win. Before we get on to how you're going to do that, we got one other way to make a lot of big tokens. Gutter Grime, four and green. Sounds like a really bad case of bad plumbing. And yeah, Enchantment. I would say it's not the best card, uh, yeah. but I think there's a use for it, uh, especially if you get it out early. Yeah, whenever Nocturne Creature Control dies, plus time counter on Gutter Grime. Then put a green ooze creature token on a battlefield with this creature's power counters are equal to the number of slime counters on Gutter Grime. English, I can do good, don't worry. Yeah, so let's say throughout the course of the game, after you've played this you sacrifice five creatures you have five five fives that's a lot of five five and this goes with my michael example too 20 creatures you get 20 20 20 stuff of garagrime exactly um next how are we going to weaponize all these tokens First. our favorite is the bloods for thrinax combos very well with michael uh two and double green lizard devour one same thing as michael lost devour but a little weaker mm-hmm each other creature control enters the battlefield with an additional X plus one plus one counters on it, or X number plus one plus one counters on Bloodspore Thrinax. Yep. The so Bloodspore, the Bloodspore Michaeloth combo is real, people. Don't yep. don't mess with it. 
Yep, use Michaeloth, get some Sapperlings, sack those Sapperlings, Bloodspore, Thrynax, and then the next turn, you will get tons of giant Sapperlings. And that is pretty powerful. Another thing, since you're going to be sacrificing a lot of creatures, and you've got a lot of tokens on the board, Mazarek can win you the game fairly easily. His ability reads as follows. Flying, whenever a player sacrifices another permanent, this includes anything that stays on the battlefield more than a turn. Put a plus one plus counter on each of your creatures you control. Yep, and it's you, a five drop. So a Bloodspore dies. Use my use Mazarek as your secondary win con to Thrynax. Exactly. Let's say you got ten Saps on board. Sacrifice three of them. Oh boy, that's thirty power on the board already. Uh, now here is my favorite and many other people's least favorite win con. This can win out of nowhere. Triumph of the Horse two and double green sorcery. Sucks already in that regard. Until end of turn, your creatures get plus plus one, trample, and infect. And that makes up for it being a sorcery. It is extremely powerful and will win the game if you have even a few tokens on board. Until someone counters it because they're a blue player. Yep, that will happen. And this can also be great, a uh, great thing to fetch out with Razzikath. Razzle Frazzle. Yeah, because he's already an 8-8 flying trample, so hard to block. And with Triumph the Hordes, it gives him plus plus one, so he'd be a 9-9. Just deal one more damage to someone along with Razzle Frazzle, and there you go, stealing a win right there. Um, some other great win cons include Kakusho, the falling the or sorry, the evening star, six drop five five flyer that has a nice death effect, which is each opponent loses five life and you gain that much life, or sorry, equal to the amount life or li of life lost. Life lost this way. I'm kind of yeah, stumbling here. Apologies. Now, a good uh, mix, a good combo with this is uh, our favorite zombie uh, priest, Micaeus. Gives Indeed. all humans not undying. Kakusha plus undying equals double the life loss. You have Sangry Blood out. You kind of win the game. There's at least a minimum of four or three other people with you. Yeah, sadly, we won't run Sanguine Bun, but we will run, my, will run my Chaos for value. Um, think about it, my Chaos plus Kakusho. That's, you sacrifice Kakusho, get its death trigger, it comes back, sacrifices again, get its death trigger. Then at the end of turn, you do that again. That is 20 life loss for your opponents and a ton of life for you. Um, and if someone is playing Slemendy, I think they got you down under control. His Undying is near infinite at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, because how Undying works is that if a creature has multiple plus encounter and it dies while well, it has the ability Undying, it's permadead. I wasn't until you fetch it back with Armarin, but that's besides the point. If it doesn't have a plus one plus counter, and say McKay's gave it undying, and someone plays Solemnity, your creatures are basically immortal. Actually, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, combos with undying, um, but basically they get you, usually you won't combo off that way in Marin, but it basically just gives you two uses out of your creatures. Um, even without Marin on board. Or infinite uses if someone plays Solemnity, but that besides the point. Right, because you're not going to be running that, sadly. And those will be your win cons, but how do we get those win cons into our graveyard to reanimate them? One way we have to do that is milling. Some early drops that we have to mill some things into our graveyard start with uh, an artifact. A perpetual timepiece. That's two drops, so you can turn one soaring to this thing if you do Indeed. choose. 
uh, artifact. Put okay, so tap it. Put top to cards to your library into your graveyard. Great if you end up hitting a ten drop you do not want want in your hand. Exactly. And two to exile this artifact to shuffle any number of cards from your graveyard into your library. Now this second ability we will rarely use. It's just an emergency, you know, an emergency button in case we're playing. It's a mill deck that is trying to mill us out. Or someone plays a bazooka bog. Um, yeah, in case someone exiles a graveyard, that's also very helpful. Uh, next we have a creature, because you know Marin likes creatures. And it's also an enchantment, though. It is Nyx Weaver for one black green. Enchantment creature spider, reach. At the end of your upkeep, put top to crush your library into your graveyard. Uh, one and Golgari, exile Nyx Weaver, return to our carpet graveyard to your hand. So not only does this get some things into your graveyard, but if there's something that you can't reanimate, namely something that's not a creature, you can get it right back. And that's quite helpful. Next, we have a way to get a lot of cards into our graveyard all at once. Deadbridge Chant for six mana. Okay, sorry. This card is super damaged. But anyways... Yeah, I've got a damage copy. I need to get a better Anyways, one. it's an enchantment. Yes. When Deadbridge Chant... When it enters the battlefield, put top ten cards to your library into your graveyard. At your upkeep, choose a card random from your graveyard. Just roll a dice. It's faster. If it's a so creature card, pawn to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it into your hand. Yep, so this will get even more things out of the battlefield fairly quickly and get you more things into your graveyard. However, sometimes milling isn't precise enough, and we want something very specific very fast. Uh, a good way to find this is that cards like Entomb and um, the three-drop card. Oh, I'm forgetting the name at the moment. Um, basically, any card that searches your library for cards or for creature cards and puts them into your graveyard that is quite helpful. A tomb and tomb is one black for that effect. Um, sadly, buried tomb, alive. Buried alive. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, sadly, both buried alive and a tomb are fairly expensive. One of our budget alternative is Gerard's orders. Whoops, right here. All right, uh, two and Golgari. Just try for up to two cards and reveal them. Put into your hand and the other in your graveyard. Shall for your library afterwards. So you can put a small drop thing that's really effective at something else you need to do into your hand, and then your big, heavy wind con like Razgath into your graveyard. Another poor man's choice for Entomb or Buried Alive is Corpse Connoisseur. I would argue this this is not a poor man's choice, and I would run this alongside Entomb and uh, cards like that, because this is a reusable tutor effect into your graveyard. That is true. Where's the battlefield? Also, it's a zombie wizard, so for all of you in Nala decks, it does yep. go with your tribe. Corpse Calm Connoisseur. Down. Uh, and uh, yep. when it's the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card and basically chuck into the bin and shuffle your library afterwards. And it's the unearth too, so do it twice if you have the mana to do it or just impatient. Well, usually you would use the unearth if you couldn't get Marin out or something. Um, the problem with unearth is that it exiles it, so you're not going to be doing that, finding yourself doing that too often. Uh, next, we have a way to all sac to simultaneously sacrifice a creature and search on a sorcery. Eldritch Evolution, one and double green. I feel bad for that pig. Uh, and there's no cost to cast a spell. Sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card and command mana cost X or less, where X is plus two of that sacrifice creature's mana cost, and put that into the battlefield. Shuffle your library, exile this spell. Right. Um, it is a one-time use, but at the is. same time, you could say... Uh, Say, say you have a five drop, you chuck it into the bin, you search for, for example, say you're playing like green and white and you're sacrificing a thing just because you could. Sure. And you uh, chuck out Dramoka 
in favor for, say, Elish Norn. Exactly. So anything that costs two more or less, you could search for something Roaring clicks. Right. Um, which is good if you are not quite sure what you're going to search for. Because with things like Birthing Pod, Raspy, Exact CMC, that's all but different. So um, another thing is if you do have some extra cash, the $15 Fauna Shaman is a nice creature that will search for things as well with one green tap, discard a creature card, search for a creature card. Um, and this will not get straight into your graveyard, but it's just another way to tutor up things alongside those. Now, next up, what do we do if something goes horribly wrong? Every deck needs board wipes. We've got a few interesting ones that fit with our strategy. My personal favorite, this can also be your savior, is... Or Wincon. Or Wincon, yeah. yes. Living Death. Now, how Living Death works is that you exile... All, everyone exiles all their creature cards on the, on the field. Or, sorry, in your graveyard. Then sacrifice all creatures that they control to the bin. And then mm -hmm. put all creatures exiled this way onto the battlefield. Basically, put your graveyard onto the onto the battlefield and your battlefield into your graveyard. Yeah, basically. So what you do here is you sacrifice everything to one of your many sack outlets. Um, do this. So what you're going to do is people who don't have a lot of stuff in their graveyard because that's, you know, not their strategy, which is most other decks, you board wipe them. But in your case, you got every single creature you had onto the battlefield at that moment, which is quite powerful. Think of it as Marin's way of flickering. Yeah, exactly. Just, um, you know, more knives, in your, more knives in your neck than you'd want. But Next, yeah. we have Necromantic Selection for four black black. This is nice because, although not as effective as Living Death, um, you're going to need more than one board wipe option. And why don't you read the card here, Alvin? We can... uh, destroy all creatures, then return a creature card and put into the graveyard. Uh, Creature card put into the graveyard this way to the battlefield under your control. It's a black zombie in other colors and types. Exile Necromax selection. So you can steal, again, someone's a giant 10 10 creature with this. Yeah, in case of emergency. But if you're not quite to late game, usually the reason you want to run this is you destroy everything and then you choose to get you choose to let Marin go to the graveyard and return Marin so that you still have your reanimation engine going and everyone else is left in the dust. And uh, for you uh, richer people out there, another board wipe is our most famous is Damnation. Destroy everything, nothing regenerates. Any classic bl uh, black board wipe will do. There are plenty of good ones, including ones that draw you cards for each creature that died, etc. Destroy the Meeseeks. Etc. Yes, yes. Just, or, what is it, Devour the Weak? Something of the sort? It's Devour the Weak, but I call it Destroy the Meeseeks. Yeah, Just I like better. that nickname. A little Rick and Morty reference for you there. And if you cycle it, all your creatures get minus two minus two, which still kills a lot of creatures. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So finally, to finish off this deck tech, we just got a few really high value cards that are just really good in this deck. That... Let's start with my favorite nightmare card. The Spore Fog Frog. Yep, Lovely. it's Spore Frog. It's a, a one green drop. It's a 4 one, one Sacrifice it. Fog the battlefield until end of turn. Yep. Sacrifice Spore Frog. Uh, prevent all combat damage, specifically combat damage, that would be dealt this turn. Yeah, another uh, high-value uh, card is what I like to call the Malicious Harp, the Evil Piano, or this true name, the Panharmonicon. It says a forge-up artifact. If an, ar if an artifact or a creature entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. 
basically it's an artifact that doubles your enter the battlefield effects, which is great in a deck where you want to recycle a lot of creatures and their enter the battlefield effects. Yeah, that's right. Another high value engine that's more of a late or mid game type engine is Westville Abbey. Uh, it's a tis a land. Tap for cars mana, tap five and tap it to pay one life to create a one one uh, white and black human cleric till it goes to the battlefield. A bit much, but yeah, it's kind of an emergency ability. That's really not the point. Yeah, the Three. second ability is what we want. Yeah, sacrifice five creatures after tapping five mana and tapping it. Mm -hmm. Transform us to Abbey and then untap it into my favorite, my second favorite demon. Ormondal, the profane prince. Flying, lifelink, indestructible, haste. Indeed, that's a lethal combination, and it's a 9-7. That's also another kind of way to win the game, uh, or just get in some damage. And then someone has to exile it. Yeah, and then you're like, well, I'm down a land and a creature. Uh, so, you know, it's yeah. not perfect, and, but it's, uh, hey, it's a land. Last value card is Vindictive Lich. Three and a black. Zombie Wizard. When it dies, choose one of choose one or more of these modes. Each mode will target a different player. Sacrifice a creature. Discard two cards, lose five life. So it's a 4 one, so easily killable by any means necessary. Yep, and you can kind of a toolbox card, whatever uh, opponent needs to, you know, lose. You can choose, oh, this person, I need to get them down on life. This person has this, you know, big creature I need to get rid of, or, you know, they got a scary card in their hand, etc., etc. It's kind of a nice toolbox card. And that's about it. Oh, wait, there's one more. Uh, High Market, which has tap, sacrifice creature, you gain one life on a land. And it also has tap, add, for col add one colorless to your mana pool. It's just a nice emergency sack outlet on a land. And a two-color deck, land staff colors are no big deal, as we've seen. That one gives our... you like life, right? Hmm? That one's the one that gives you life, right? It gives you one life for yes. tap and sacrificing a creature. The one life doesn't really do much. The point really is the sack engine you have going yeah. with it, at least. Yeah, in case you can't draw into any of your other sack outlets. Um, so I think that's about it. Is there anything else you want to add, Alvin, to this deck tech? No, not really. All right, so that's about it for your Marin deck tech for this week. Next week, we'll have another strategy segment with possibly another deck tech or possibly something else. And bear in mind, this is not a uh, strict you-must-follow-these type of deck techs. They're just there yeah. for the beginners who need a place to start, and yeah. Veterans with the deck, yeah. These are just a lot of cards that we would suggest you add. Uh, figure out which ones are the best for your deck. Your deck might lean towards one of the strategies. Maybe it leans towards tokens. Maybe it leans towards... Um, you know, a sort of reanimator kind of style. Who knows? Mill. Do a lot of cool things with Marin. And the Afro, uh, including the aforementioned Shaman Tribal. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, that wraps it up. We'll see you guys next week. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you.